Hello and welcome to Balls and Whistles, a Highland news and media podcast looking at what's been going on around the world of sport. Now, I am Andrew Henderson and this week, if you tuned in last time, you will know is the second half of our 2021 retrospective. With it being Christmas and New Year and things being really busy with the amount of matches in particular Ross County have, as well as trying to get all the newspapers out, we're doing a look back over the best of Balls and Whistles, over the first year of Balls and Whistles, instead of putting together brand new episodes. So last time we covered from January right back at the very start of the podcast through to June, I think we ended things with the appointments of Malky Mackay and Billy Dodds at Ross County and Callie Thistle. This time I promised you there was going to be a lot more stuff that wasn't football and that is where we're starting this time some people I'm sure will be absolutely delighted to hear. It wasn't deliberate the way this worked out. It just happened to be that a lot of the big non-football stories happened in the second half of the year for some reason. Partially, I think because I said last week, at the very start of 2021, football was one of the only major sports on. We didn't have the summer sports back. Rugby wasn't going on. Uh, it took a little while for things to get up and running again after the pandemic. So this time we're going to jump straight into Will Clark, sports editor Will Clark's chat with the brand new at the time, world's strongest man, Tom Stoltman. Then he's going to talk to a golfer from Brora, and I'll cover some of the other stuff you're about to hear at the end. Make sure you stick around to hear all the different things. I'm sure you'll be able to get it from context if it's not explicitly said in these clips. And I'll make a point of reading out all the different stories and thanking everybody. So if you're curious about who was who, I'll read them all out in order at the end, starting here with Tom Stoltman. You promised uh, your mum that you would become world's strongest man one day. How do you think that she will feel um, looking down on you just now? Yeah, I mean, I, I came as well. I said in 2018 that uh, I promised my mum I'd win it in 2021. So, you know, to kind of do that as well and keep that promise to my mum, it's, uh, yeah, it's a mental feeling. Uh, you know, I, I had kind of all the pressure on myself because I kind of said locally and I put it all over social media that I was going to win it and to do it and have it pay off and to use her as kind of strength and a motivation was a very good feeling as well. So. Mm-hmm. Now you're only 27, is that right? Yeah, yeah, 27. Yeah. Yeah, you've got every chance of winning multiple world titles now. Do you have a specific target of how many world's strongest men titles you'd like to win or are you content with one at the moment? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, winning man, I mean like, you know <laughs> This is open. I'm not gonna lie. This is opened up, you know, massive doors for myself, um, my like my wife and my family. So, you know, I'm. I love the sport. I'm gonna keep competing, but, uh, I, you know, I want to kind of. I want to become the greatest in the sport. So, you know, I'd love to win four or five World Strongest Men titles, but. But now I'm like happy with one and just want to kind of let the one of uh, one sink in, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll look at the greats such as uh, Marius Pujanowski and uh, Magnus Bird Magnussen. Uh, they're the two names that come to my mind. You would like to be uh, uh, in that bracket, yeah? Is that the aim now? Yeah, 100%. You know, um, I, was speaking, I was speaking to Maggie and I mean, uh, you know, he said you could be great, and coming from his mouth, it's an amazing kind of feeling. And yeah, I would love to just be in the same kind of uh, league as them. You know, so. And you do a lot of great work um, at schools in the area as well, don't you? How much of an inspiration do you think your victory will be to young people, and maybe getting more people involved in strongman sport? Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, I do a lot of work for the schools and. 
kids with autism stuff and it's, I mean, it's mental, I mean, um, I just have only been off home since 1am and uh, it's mad the amount of kind of kids that, like mums that have messaged me, schools that have kind of got in touch and stuff and said it's going to change people's lives and stuff. So yeah, it's an amazing feeling that I can kind of be like kids can inspire, uh, get inspired from me and, you know, take up a new sport and stuff. Mm-hmm. Aye. Aye. But uh, you just got to enjoy the moment of, of being the world's strongest man. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I mean, those three words, world's strongest man, it's not a bad title to have, is it? No, I mean, I think it's the best title you can, you can get, so... <laughs> <laughs> You're going to enjoy it, good man. I came here as a nine-year-old on holiday with my parents. Okay. And that was a long time ago, 1954. And... Uh, I've been back to the village every year and always enjoyed the golf and everything about the place. Uh, and then when I got married, I kept coming. So I've been every year since that year. Uh, and we very early in our married life decided this is where we wanted to retire to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just adjusted our life and our holidays round the golfing tournaments that were popular in the various decades. And the Klein Leash came along, or the Ainses as it was originally. And in actual fact, my family originally were the people that set up the Klein Leash distillery. Uh, not my direct family, but members of my father's cousins, sort of thing. Okay. Um, so that was another connection. And uh, when they announced that the Ainsley Salva was going to happen, and it was originally a four-day golf tournament. We changed our holidays, moved them earlier into August so that we could uh, compete in it. And there was always a sort of keen rivalry, who could keep going the longest. And uh, I, I've got a photograph somewhere of Peter Thompson giving me a bottle of Klein Leash as a reward for making... 40 consecutives and the nearest that got to me was a guy called San- Sandy Sutherland who made it to 37 but that was nobody got beyond that and I just kept going as a matter of pride uh, and sometimes humiliation as far as the quality of golf's concerned um, for the 50 years uh, and I retired up here uh, what is it 16 years ago uh, to live here full time and play golf and I was on the committee as it says in the article mm-hmm. and I became the longest ever serving president but I stepped down three years ago from that just to enjoy Brora and enjoy my golf as best I can as I get older and less less able <laughs> um, you, you said you came on holiday, where are you originally from? Dumfries Dumfries, well that's all hits the other end of the country <laughs> Ab- Absolutely uh, my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, had been coming up here fishing between the wars, uh, but they stayed in Laird. And what used to happen, eventually my father joined them and so on, and what happened was that one day out of their week to ten days of fishing, they would always play golf. And sometimes at Brora, sometimes golf made Donner, and so on. And... Uh, on a beautiful day, rather like today, my father was having lunch in what's in the Links Hotel, which is now closed in Golfby, mm. uh, after golf, and he thought that was the perfect place to come bring the family for holidays, and he dragged us up here in the August 
son and grandson a name check as well yeah well he's he's Alistair Buchanan Risk I'm Alistair Brian Risk and the grandson is Ethan Risk uh, I spent my life as you gather from fo- the photographs etc I spent my life running hotels beside open championship golf courses that was my career mostly uh, so that's why I always was very fortunate I've played with what my generation but the first first open champion I played for, with was Max Faulkner who won it in 1954 but I've played with Tom Watson I've played with Faldo um, I've played with uh, Jack Nicholas and so on mm. of course Barora Golf Club is a particular favourite of Tom well, Watson yes I invited Tom up because Tom Tom stayed with me you know half a dozen times over the years mm. down in North Berry when he was playing at Muirfield and round there uh, as did Jack and, and so on. But I ran, I ran the cell at North Berwick and I ran Rusax and St Andrews amongst many others. Excellent. And uh, uh, usually we had um, the top golfers and the top show busy people staying in them and for competitions. You know, from an outsider's perspective, looking at it, and it does look like it's just one bad result, but you, you'll probably know better than most of us, you know, like, since, since the Kelty game, it's just, mm-hmm. that, a result like that's been coming, unfortunately, and I could, I, I could, I'd, I'd sensed it, and I kind of made a bit of a deal with myself after the Kelty game, that if I ever felt like the, the boys were not performing anywhere near the levels they were, then, then you know, I'd need to seriously look at, at, at my contribution to that, and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, players can have bad games, and, and, and can be off the pace and stuff, but,
that, that, and I'm so uncomfortable watching that game and watching the boys not give their all mm-hmm. um, for 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 the club and the club deserve more than that and and you know the fans deserve more than that and, and I'm responsible for you know the boys going out on a, on, on the park and and playing with with heart and with drive and desire and, and for whatever reason that's not there and, and it's not been there since since Kelly if, if I'm totally honest and it's it, it felt like it was creeping up um, on us and. I think mm-hmm. football will always remind you at some point where you are, and, and, and I think you know yesterday was a reminder that as a football club we're, we're way off where we need to be. And again, you know, I will take full full responsibility for that. And yeah, I could have stayed after, I could have stayed and just put down a bad day at the office, but it's not. It's, it's, it's some fundamental. Something, something you've seen coming. Yeah, yeah. I just I just can't get I can't get the maximum effort out of the, out of, out of the players for whatever reason. That's not me having a dig at the players. That's just something maybe. Is it? Yeah, I mean, you, you you mentioned the Celtic game. Obviously, the game before that, I think, was the Hearts game, and I mean, incredible high and achievement. Is is it the hunger's gone a wee bit after that? You know, is, is it, it feels like it, and sometimes in life that just happens where we're in that plateau, and, and sometimes a fresh voice or a fresh face and some new ideas comes in, and it, and it can totally just galvanise the whole squad and. A similar situation happened before I took the job. You know, I played in a team that the hunger had gone, and I, I could smell it, and I could see it, and I was part of that team. So again, I would take responsibility. And, 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 and Ross Tokwe, you know, stuck around and tried to battle it and fight it. And we actually ended up having a really embarrassing, disappointing season. We finished seventh or eighth. And mm-hmm. I don't want that to happen. Like I could have stayed and could have, like, you know, I am, I'm a stubborn bugger and I love a challenge, but yeah. I could have stayed and thought, well, we're going to battle our way through this, but be you know getting to December and sitting in fifth sixth position and, and you know out of the league and, and really find ourselves in a embarrassing position but as much as it killed me yesterday to do that and walk away I'm almost feel like I'm giving the club an opportunity to still win the league. It's only one defeat someone could come in and you know, mm-hmm. out the players. And in order to do that, like it's a part time job but it's not. It's, it's, it it requires you to, to do something on the football club, on the team, something every single day. Yeah. And with my job and I'm away all the time. You know, last week I was confirmed on Monday, Manchester, Tuesday, Wednesday, confirmed on Thursday, then rushing up north to get the training for Thursday night. And I'm just constantly rushing about and I'm not being able to commit as much time with the club as, as, as I should. Um, and again, I suppose when things are going well, it's fine, you know, but... You'll get away with it. Yeah. You will. Yeah. On how you manage to cope, how you manage to do it, and you're getting away with it, it's fine. But again, football will always just... Always give you a little reality check, and I, I knew myself, even from Kelly game, mm-hmm. I was contemplating maybe just stepping aside. I knew that the work um, would not allow me to give enough time to, to, to the job. But I thought, look, I want to do one more season, and um, I'm desperate to win the league this season and try and get us up. Um, but I, I knew in the back of my mind that you know, I have to be pretty lucky because I'm only really committing to a Thursday night and mm-hmm. then to a Saturday. And that's not enough. That's not enough for. Mm-hmm. You were chatting yesterday with Megan Keith, who had a pretty good time of it at the Manchester International. Yep, she won the 5,000 metres. She became the, the Manchester International Junior Champion. Congratulations to her. But what's even more impressive is the juniors and the seniors actually ran in the same race, um, even though it was split into two categories. And Megan actually finished second overall, uh, one second behind the senior champion. 
Um, you've got to remember, Megan is only 19 years old. And in athletics, that's a long way mm. uh, away from someone who's maybe 27 or 28 in terms of development. So, I mean, Inverness shouldn't underestimate what a potential superstar they've got in their midst. She's already competed at the European Championships, where she finished fourth in the 3,000 metres, agonisingly milliseconds away from a medal. But uh, I'm sure she'll rectify that in the future. Um, but she wasn't the only one to uh, uh, medal at the Manchester International. Congratulations, Rachel McLeod, who uh, picked up bronze in the hammer. And uh, well uh, well done to William Body from Nairn, uh, who picked up a silver in the triple jump. Some very good athletes going about to handle. And a lot of different competitions as well, because I could quite easily have started off the athletics part of this podcast with Kirsty Law, who is now a 13-time Scottish champion in the discus after winning gold at the Nationals there. And across the bridge as well at Ross County Athletics Club, Zach Fern is the national under-17 javelin champion. And back across the bridge again, congratulations to James Rollo from Inverness Harriers, who was under-17 discus champion. There you go. It's all happening. There's something in the Caledonian River. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> we talk about athletics quite a bit because of all these successes, but to have all of these people being so successful within the same week or two, it really just makes you sit up and take notice of how prolific the Highlands are for producing these athletes. It's fantastic. And one pattern that's emerging is it's thrown events a lot of these athletes are doing well in. So that's uh, got to give a lot of credit to the throwing coach, Duncan Flocker, in Renes Harriers, because he, he's behind most of these successes. So, you know, fair play to him. Fair play to them. Well, fair probably, play to you, Hendo. Fair play to me. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, fair play is summed up by cricket because spirit of the game counts just as much as the laws of the game over there. And there's also champions there. I think we spoke about it last week that I was planning heading along to Ross County Cricket Club's Senior Cup final against Forest. It's the first time in 21 years that they've actually managed to win it. And I think the first time ever they've managed to win two cups in the same season after their T20 success earlier on this year, because I think that's the first time they'd ever won that. It was really fun, actually, to go down and, and watch that match and be able to talk to people afterwards. There's a full report online. I'm not going to go into all the details now, partially because of time for this podcast and partially because I'd probably just start boring people. But I have to give a particular shout out to Renato Belli. He has been around the club for 50 years, he was telling me. Made his debut in 1971. Had never been part of a cup-winning team. He's the groundsman there. He's, he's at the pitch pretty much every day, putting the work in behind the scenes. He's a great character as well, a really nice guy. And he won the match, essentially, for Ross County. You couldn't have scripted a better ending. He took a hat-trick, which is essentially the equivalent of a hat-trick in football in terms of its importance. He took three wickets in three balls, which was you know, crazy to do in a cup final. But then he took a fourth wicket with the next ball as well to wrap it up and get the win. I did manage to get a, a brief chat with him after the match. I think he was still a little bit shell-shocked. Here is what Renato, quite fondly known at the club as Ronnie, had to say. First off, how does it feel to win the cup? Yeah. <laughs> after 50 years at Ross County, um, my first uh, cup, it's very good indeed. You know? It feels surreal and hard, hard to believe. Hard to believe. And to do it in the manner you did as well, four uh, wickets, four uh, balls to end it, it's not bad. That's no bad, I sort of sorted it out, I sorted out all that year's pent up emotion, you know. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it's you, good. You couldn't have written a better end than that. No, you couldn't. Not, not be me retired now. What's me done? Seriously? I'm going to be top yes, sir. 64, I've got to go. <laughs> but you're looking like you're going to win that. I'll no, quite no, a long bit towards nah, the end. At half time, I would have said uh, it was 50 50. You know, but the boys, uh, Big Moxie got a couple of wickets, really good wickets, and the boys bowled really tight, and the fielding was first class, and Darren took a couple of great catches. And that was it. After that, after that, two catches, we were in a shout, and we just played that, sorted it all out. So was it particularly pleasing to bowl them out as well, not just win it after the? Yeah, well, yeah, it's particularly pleasing because they only got 67 runs and they're, they're top of the league and they're top class side. So I it was particularly pleasing, you know? and it, it just shows that we're, we can do it. We're, we're a nice bunch of lads and we're all together, and it's really good. It's really good. And man, the match as well. Just oh, a well. nice bonus. Oh, yeah, certainly. So I never had that before. <laughs> Anyway, that's good. But has, has it sunk in? Not yet, no. <laughs> Not yet, no. I was singing when I got a couple of beers. So. Plenty of success, two cup wins now. I uh, two cup wins for Ross County, unheard of. In fact, uh, I'm 50, it's 51 years ago, it's 50 years ago that I played my first game for Ross County, 1971. And you'll find it in the Ross Yard in the, in the archive somewhere, 1971. So, so as you say, long time coming. No, it's a long time coming. Well played, Roy. I was really pleased from you could tell that everybody at Ross County was as well. You got a particular shout out from their captain, Graham Carney, in his uh, speech, essentially, to collect the trophy. I know everybody was absolutely delighted for him. You mentioned Moxie there. It was Paul Moxon who took two wickets and Darren Lucas, who took a couple of catches there. They ended up winning by 105 runs. So it wasn't even all that close in the end. And Forrest are top of the league. So as Ronnie was saying there, they are a good side. Congratulations to Ross County, to Ronnie in particular. Finn's coming home on Saturday. So what a story, not just for disabled sport in the Highlands, but for sport in the Highlands in general. What an inspiration this boy's going to be. You know, uh, I spoke to his mum, Dee. Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Because I know that uh, you were also watching it in the early hours of the morning. She's actually spoken to Finn as well, who is just delighted with what he's achieved. Uh, two silver medals. Almost won a third medal on Tuesday as well. He was three seconds off winning a bronze in the time trial. But listen, you're 21 years old. You've gone to the biggest stage of your sport and you've come away with two silver medals. And all the analysts are saying at just 21 years old, he's only going to get even better. So goodness knows what he's going to achieve at Paris 2024. Uh, go for gold. But he's the silver darling of Highland sport as far as I'm concerned. You mentioned his age there. I think I, I made the point when he was announced as going to the Paralympics at 21. This is only the beginning. You're talking about Paris in a few years' time. He could have another potentially three, four Paralympics ahead of him if he keeps at it the way he is. He was far and away the youngest member of the squad this time out in Tokyo. So to come away with two medals coming close to three, it's just an amazingly good news story. And it's fantastic to have those. Go back to the velodrome last week when he was competed in the 3,000 metres individual pursuit. It shouldn't be forgotten, he actually broke the world record in the semi-final. He only had it for a matter of minutes, unfortunately, before uh, Jakob van Gass uh, broke it. He had some good fun with that on his social media, though, to be fair. Oh, I know. You know fair play to Finn. He, he, it was great banter from him. who held the world record for a few minutes. <laughs> but I think it'd be fair to say... His bigger strength is on the road rather than the velodrome. And yet he came second in that event on the track. And he actually was only a second away from Jakob van Gass in the velodrome. I was speaking to his mum this morning 
And the one thing they're taking away from it is, overall disciplines, with the exception of maybe uh, Sarah Story, uh, the female cyclist who's won a record-breaking amount of medals, he's probably the most consistent cycler across all disciplines in the British squad. You know, you know, Jaco van Gas, gold medalist, but he specialises in track. Ben Watson, gold medal, but he's a road specialist. Overall, Finn Graham, winning medals on the track, winning medals on the road. He's seen as an all-rounder, and for a 21-year-old, that's just incredible. That's the one thing they're taking away from it, as well as the medals. <laughs> it's a nice bonus, isn't it? But he just, he just seems to be enjoying it so much. I saw one tweet from uh, somebody, I think, who works for British Cycling down in Manchester, just saying he's having the time of his life. And, you know, that enthusiasm, he, he clearly wants to be on the track and on the road. He's obviously doing really well at it. And like you say, he's only going to get better. The sky really is the limit for him because at the minute, there doesn't really seem to be any sort of drawback. And it's just fantastic. Yeah, he'll get the funding for the next three years now because of his performances in Japan because British Cycling will just take a look at his performances and say, you know, this guy can go even better in Paris in 2024. And anyone that knows Finn Graham, you better believe he's going for gold in 2024 now. The next time he comes on the show, which uh, I'm confident he will, he'll tell us exactly that. Looked like, um, from reading the report of the match, you were really made to work quite hard for it, weren't you? Oh, never had a good side, there's no doubt about that. Um, they did, we did have to work hard for it, and I think just about the fittest team. I think we were a better team if they have very good individuals who are not so much of a team, if you understand. So that's what you think was the difference between the two teams in the end? Yeah, I think that's what paid them. Probably maybe our fitness was a wee bit better than theirs as well, so but that combined with us being more, a, more of a team, it gave us that little edge of them. I suppose you wouldn't have said this, but were you at all nervous going into it about how the guys would react to being in such a big match for the first time? Yes, obviously nervous, you know, and uh, the flies in the tummy and all the rest of it. But you've got to trust your players and hope that they do their best on the day and not disturb to that sort of day. Mm-hmm. What sort of impact do you think this is going to have for Kim Lockshield now? Um, I think it's going to be very good because... Um, if you looked on the telly or not, I'm sure you'd see it. There's a lot of young children there, young kids now. They all want to be part of this now, you see. Uh-huh. And especially when they're a big trophy like the Kamala Cup. They're all wanting to play shit And we've got young guys coming through who will take over from this team eventually. So, yeah, the future's looking good at the moment. And I suppose this is a really obvious question to ask, but I guess you'll be hoping that over the next couple of years you can keep going and winning more trophies. Yeah, I've said that as well. I think that uh, we can go on and win the Common Cup again. Maybe, goodness knows, maybe two or three times, and hopefully we do anyway. And uh, that's good for us for the future as well. So uh, I think it will keep people mind and green and shouldn't be rather than people or anything else, you see. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the, the things going into the match that was quite notable was that there wasn't a, a Canusi or a Newton Moore. Do you think this could be a bit of a changing of the guard for the next couple of years? Well, uh, uh, it's a difficult one to answer that. There's not a lot between the teams, to be honest with you. You know, Canusi, Moore, ourselves, love it, Kyle's even. So, it, maybe for a wee bit, but you'll see Newton Moore or Canusi back at the top, I obviously think, because the. You know, it's in green 
holding them off over the next few years then? Uh, I think the team we have here just now, maybe got a couple of years out of most of them. And we'll be hard to beat. Um, we've got the McTavish Cup final on the 23rd, I think it is, of October. Right. We, we beat Kenyus in that one, I mean, so we're probably pretty really. Sure. I, I keep saying the years to come there could be more success, but it could even be this season. It might not be done yet. It might not be done. No, that's cool. If we beat uh, Kenyus in the Cup final, well, if we're... If we get to the cup final, I think it'll be conducive where we play. Um, they're always going to be difficult. To, but if we win that one, we're definitely going to get more trophies in, in the near future, I would say. I think Inverness uh, uh, brings a great hope for an event like this. Uh, obviously, going up here, um, it's a great facility. Uh, we're really looking for, forward to the event. Uh, being hosted here, and I think it's great on both parts. Uh, Scottish Golf getting to host an event up here and us welcoming, welcoming uh, the best set of players in the world. So, uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's really good. What can you do for Scottish in the area? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I know for, like, personally, a few kids from Gordon are coming through with the school in today. So, I think, online uh, to that, it's really good for uh, the young people to just watch the squash. Uh, maybe something new for them. Uh, might already play it, but just to be inspired by the, the really high quality squash on show here is, is great for them. It's handy for you. <laughs> Very handy. Yeah, no, it's nice to be back up from uni, uh, get a few home-cooked meals, free accommodation. Yeah, it's, it's really nice, but uh, looking forward to playing back here. It's been a while, so. Um, you've done quite a lot of press around the last couple of months. Is there a bit of pressure on yourself, do you think? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think coming in as a wild card, uh, it's, it's a good feeling for me. Uh, not, not so much pressure in the sense, but uh, just kind of going in trying to implement improvements that I've been making over the last year and a half through COVID. Uh, just trying to give a good account of myself on court and off court as well. But uh, I think if I play the best of my ability, we'll be in for a good game. So. Is that the thing you really want to do? It's not even so much where you get in the tournament, it's more just about showing personal progress. Yeah, I think uh, personal progress, but also, um, the. I mean, I've made the leap from junior to senior squash over the last couple of years, and I think uh, if I can play my best, I think the results will follow. So uh, I just don't have to concentrate on that. And, Place, so what do you think you're going to be able to take from, like you said, some of the best players in the world coming to Inverness? Yeah, I think, um, obviously I'm playing Connor, who I've, I've never played before. Uh, it's another new face to court, which is always welcomed. Uh, I think, yeah, in terms of takeaways, um, some of it will be performance-based, but I think, uh, like, even like the school kids, like, I can just be inspired by stuff like this, and uh, obviously it's somewhere that I want to go with my squash, like, competing in these events a lot more regularly, so... Uh, yeah, just to be a part of it and uh, hopefully get a wee bit into the tournament as well would be, would be lovely. You know, Mike, the event more generally, could this be a catalyst for more things coming up to Inverness, do you think? Yeah, uh, I hope so. Uh, like I said before, it's a good facility. Um, I think, um, I mean, previously as juniors, a lot of people would be like, oh, it's quite, quite a long travel up to Inverness, maybe don't fancy it. But I think once you get up here, I mean, it's a lovely city, the club's really good, like we're all really friendly. And I think, uh, yeah, once they experience how like the event here, how well it's set up. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, definitely should lead to more stuff coming up here. It's not like there's a shortage of players. There's obviously yourself, Greg, Alan. Yeah. I know they're not based on you anymore, but it's still representing the Highlands. For sure, yeah. No, I think uh, we've got a very good track record uh, with uh, the top guys like Greg and Alan and also throughout all the juniors who might have stopped playing. We, we held a lot of national titles. Um, 
I think like that just is a testament to the setup that the club has here with uh, Malcolm coaching and uh, uh, also running the club. I think uh, it just allows for uh, the juniors to come in and enjoy themselves, and then I think with that enjoyment comes wanting to play more, and then that's when you get the ability. So uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, shows the strength of the club and the personnel of the club as well. That must be a big honour to be the first ever captain of Ross Sutherland Ladies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My husband's played for the club since he was six years old, um, and I've known him since we were 12. <laughs> so, you know, basically all our lives, and, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time stood at the side of the pitch and sort of been about the club, but, you know, I keep thinking that. I never would have thought a couple of years ago that I would be ladies' captain. Um, so, yeah, it's quite exciting to be sort of more involved in the club myself as well as my husband. What's your husband's name? John Reid. John Reid, okay. And uh, how long have you been playing rugby yourself? Um, since the summer. Since the awesome. it's <laughs> quite you're quite new to the sport. Yeah, yeah, and and pretty much all of us in the team so far are very new to it. Mm-hmm. There's one or two that maybe have a bit of past experience, but not much. So we're all very new. Um, this summer was uh, there was like a summer touch league that started just before the school holidays. I think it was over 12 weeks or something. So there was loads of people at that. I think at one point there was about 150 um, on one night. So just got involved in that. And then through just people suggesting, saying, oh, we should set up a women's team. And then all of a sudden we did. And here we are, it sort of all just kicked off. So. Yeah, it's very new. <laughs> and uh, how many um, players does the, the, the club have at the moment in the ladies section? Currently for Saturday, I think we've got about 13 confirmed mm-hmm. that are coming along to be part of the team. Mm-hmm. At training, we've got an average of about 10 of us. So we're, the numbers are sort of creeping up to to get a full team and maybe start looking to um, play some proper games soon, that would be good. Yeah, but obviously you're, you're looking to make a push to get more players in so you can have at least 15 yeah. to play on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. And what what's the, the aim? Is it to, to establish a team that can play in the Women's North League like uh, Inverness Craig Deneen do up here and uh, other clubs across the North? Yeah, that would be the aim. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be good. <laughs> Congratulations to Inverness lad Jamie Doby, who mm-hmm. um, played his debut for Scotland uh, against Tonga at Murrayfield. Came in as, on as a second half replacement for Ali Price, if I remember right. Yeah, I think it was about 57th minute. Um, and it was a great win, 60-14 against Tonga. And I, I actually wrote a column about him this week, um, just saying how fantastic it is that Scottish rugby are actually using players who have come through the youth system mm-hmm. in Scotland because, you know, I'm, I've been quite critical about Scotland's um, policy of sending scouts overseas to identify players who may be not good enough to play for their own country, um, 
particularly South Africa and New Zealand, inviting them over to Scotland to play for either Glasgow or Edinburgh, playing for like three years, now five years, uh, to gain citizenship, and then putting them in the squad. I just, you know, Craig Chalmers in another newspaper was quite uh, vocal about his disapproval about this, and uh, I'm of the same. Um, I just think it's a bit of a smack in the face to our youth system in Scotland that uh, this practice is, is done by Scottish rugby. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong, every, almost every nation, including New Zealand, including South Africa, uh, including Australia, England, yeah. um, they all do it, but maybe not to the extent Scotland do it. And I just think it's a bit shameful. I would go, yeah, I'll go, yeah, I'll go as strong as that. Shameful as a tier one nation, one of 10 tier one nations, that we're using so many players born overseas. It was thrown back into the spotlight this week because of the Tonga game, I think, because you mentioned Scotland scored 60 points, but I think only one try was scored by a player born in Scotland. Yep, that's right. And going back to the 2019 World Cup, Scotland had 14 players that were born overseas in their squad. That, that was the fourth uh, most of any nation at the Rugby World Cup. There were only three countries that didn't have players from uh, overseas countries. Uh, one was Argentina, who is a tier one nation, and the others were Namibia and Uruguay, which are lesser nations. Mm-hmm. But apart from Australia, which used 12 players, other countries do it, but not to that extent. I just feel that we're letting players down coming through our youth system and giving them a chance to represent their country. I just feel Scottish rugby should show more faith in them. There we go. That's my rant. So, congratulations to Jamie. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, because of that, I just wanted to um, highlight the significance of what Jamie's achieved that he's come through the youth setup uh, in Scotland and he's managed to win uh, an international cup, pull on the blue jersey, and play at Murrayfield. Because um, the significance Scottish rugby puts on finding overseas players is not on for me. You've touched on it there. You can't be what you can't see. We hear that so much, in particular, I think, with women's sport, women's football in particular. Um, It just seems to get dismissed when it comes to LGBTQ plus inclusion, which I don't really understand why, because it's the same theory. It's the same concept. And one applies and one doesn't seem to some of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't really know why that is. Um, I feel as if sometimes uh, football can be quite defensive um, and football fans can be quite defensive and say, you know, um, a lot of the football clubs I've gone to to speak to and so on, you know, what you'll hear sometimes is like, oh yeah, we've got a super inclusive club. Um, You know, anyone who comes here will feel welcome and yeah, there's no, no issues with homophobia here. We're 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 fine and yeah they they might actually not be homophobic they might be quite inclusive once a player's there but the clubs aren't prepared to to do that first step of specifically trying to target lgbt people to to get involved in their, their their club so i feel as if you know, whenever I ask, well, what's your representation like? And they're like, oh, n- we don't have anyone. And you're just like, well, okay, so there is an issue. As yeah. inclusive as you might be, whenever someone does come along, what do you need to do in order to do some of those, like, repair work? 
to to put it simply um that you know maybe people don't see themselves represented by role models they had really bad experiences in PE they never thought that football was a space for them and they could never perceive that like how are you challenging those perceptions of football and um, being an unsafe place for LGBTIQ plus people and um, and so I think that you know as much as clubs are prepared to uh, challenge quite obvious discrimination perhaps and you know be nice to people and be friendly and and so on I also think that we need to take this extra step in challenging the perceptions of barriers as well um, and, and trying to you know show LGBTIQ plus people and I'm talking about all levels of football here grassroots professional everything that there is a space for them in, in sport and in football. And that basically brings us right up to date here on Balls and Fizzles. I said before I would go through everybody you just heard. I'll do that right now. The first clip was the new world's strongest man, Tom Stoltman, being interviewed by Will Clark, who also talked to Alistair Risk, the golfer who'd taken part in the competition up at Brora for 50 years in a row. Then we heard Stephen Mackay talking about to Alistair Fraser about leaving Broham Rangers. Uh, there were the athletics champions, Megan Keith and Kirstlaw, among various others, for I went on to talk about Ross County Cricket Club winning the North of Scotland Senior Cup. We talked about Finn Graham winning medals at the Paralympics, the Kamenacht Cup final with Kinloch Shield manager Johnson Gill, the Scottish Squash Open with Alistair Prott. Natalie Reid talked to Will Clark about being the first ever women's captain at Ross Sutherland Rugby Club. We also talked about Jamie Dobie making his Scotland debut and a little bit of a debate around Scotland selection policy in with that before wrapping things up with my chat with Siri Topping from Leap Sports Scotland and the Football versus Homophobia Scotland campaign about rainbow laces which of course came back at the end of November and ran until the middle of December. So it's been a very busy year as you've just heard and as you heard over the last couple of weeks there's been so much going on I must admit I'd actually forgotten about one or two of those stories until I was putting this episode together. I've really enjoyed this trip down memory lane. I hope you have as well. That's it for us for this year. I'm sure uh, we'll be keeping an eye out to see what we come up with in 2022. In the meantime, you can check out all the most up-to-date news from the world of sport in our newspapers and on our websites. I know there are some fantastic subscription packages on the go for all Highland News and media websites. Make sure you go and give them a look. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening over this last year. We can't say how much we appreciate it. And to everybody out there, have a fantastic new year.